Hey there, everyone. It is Glenn on the Then Again podcast for the Northeast Georgia History Center, your favorite history podcast, we hope. And we hope you're sitting down for this podcast because we have a fantastic topic and a fantastic man to talk to us about chairs. It is Mr. Dave Klingler with Silver River Chair Caning. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. We want to uh, instill an appreciation for chairs and woven seating, especially to everyone we rub elbows with. So thank (laughs) you for having me. Absolutely. And you know, I I think this is one of those things, being a museum and being a a person who loves museums, we, we thrive on material culture and especially the material culture of the everyday. And I think that we tend to ignore the workaday furniture, not only in our own lives, but in, in the past. And chairs are something that not every house had in the past. You know, you go back to the medieval period and, and chairs were where the guy in charge sat and everyone else was on stools if that. But but fortunately, you know, here in the United States, we have a great history of, of chairs and we think of primitive chairs and that, that's not a term I necessarily like, but you specialize in woven chairs. So tell us a little bit about the history of those chairs. How did someone come up with weaving and and what sparked your interest in that well, all right that's that's a big several one. very <laughs> several very good questions i'll take them kind of one at a time so here's a we have a presentation that we like to give called a brief history of chair caning i'm going to make this the brief brief history of chair caning so evidence of people using woven materials on stools and things like that to make them more portable more comfortable because you've got some spring in there. That goes back to ancient China and ancient Egypt. They were pulled a daybed out of King Tut's tomb that was woven in a similar fashion as we are doing things today. So that is kind of the, the global aspect over the millennia. What we know as chair caning today, which is kind of this six-way pattern that we see more often than not, really got its boost in the 1600s or so. And the royals at the time were excited about it. And then, of course, it trickled down. A lot of chair caning things then came from Europe into the United States that was not the United States at that time. And then you, then you start to see things specializing. And through the years, you have things specializing depending on the region. Here I am, happen to be in North Carolina now. Regionally, we would have seen things woven with cattails and hickory bar, things like that, in other areas. And just a little farther away, you have things woven in corn shocks. And people use the material they have. Some of the most more interesting chairs that we get in are the ones that people have been pretty adventuresome or ingenuitive on the use of, I'm not even sure if that's a word, but... <laughs> On the use, we had a chair come in that had been woven in cut up bicycle tires. I think that's fantastic. As far as me getting into it, I met my wife and partner in this about 15 or so years ago. And the weaving of chairs goes back in her family four generations at least. Um, and it was something that she had recently learned at that time from her aunt. And the adventure kind of continued on from there. So, yeah, you already answered one of the questions I had, which is whether the materials used for the weaving were based on comfort and aesthetics or if they were based on available materials. And it sounds like you're telling me that that it's based on available materials from a local and, and regional perspective. It is. To an extent. Now, originally, and even now, the chair caning material is the outer bark of the rattan palm. 
that material comes out of Southeast Asia and it has for the duration. So the royals in Europe started using that material on chairs because they saw stools and things like that in Southeast Asia. Tea and spice trade, these materials started being passed around. So that particular material has been a globally traded commodity for ages. Then when chairs start to break, you use what you have. And a wonderful example of that is in South Africa, where they had these cane chairs with holes along the edge of the panel. They couldn't get their hands on cane material, the rattan. So they started using a leather material that's called a rimpy. And it's a square leather cord. It's specific to South Africa. And it's one of those that you use what you have. And anyone who's looked at a cane chair knows that there is, even in the simplest kind, there is a lot of artistry involved in it, the different patterns. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how patterns come to be. Were they practical? Were they people experimenting? And how regional are some of those patterns as opposed to just something that people copy everywhere? Yeah, there are a lot of different styles of woven seats. I'm going to kind of keep this to just cane chairs with the rattan bottoms. What we see most is a six-way pattern where you have two vertical strands, two horizontal strands, and then a diagonal in each direction. And you end up with the octagon holes that everyone sees and they're like, oh, it's a cane chair. That pattern we see 95% of the time. 90% of the time. Structurally, it works. You're connecting all the rails of your chair, not only side to side, but as diagonals as well. So structurally, it, you know, I'm sure people experimented with it. And that pattern goes back to basketry, structure of baskets. And then you're essentially weaving a basket into a chair. As far as regionally, the styles start to vary when you start talking about some of the other materials. And time in a cane chair, even if you're an expert in it, you've still got 15, 20 hours in a chair. There's no way to shortcut it. And there are ways to cut time off of it, but we have colleagues that some people can do it quicker and your chair kind of dictates. The type of caning where you have holes along the edge, which we refer to as hand cane or laced cane or whole cane, depending on who you ask. Pattern size is dictated by the holes on the edge, how far apart those are. You can't really change that after the fact. You're you're following the template that someone laid out, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But you can alter the pattern. There are star patterns and spider web patterns and some different things that you can change things up. But for the most part, the work that we do is we are restoring something back to the way that people remember it. They want grandmother's rocker to look like they remember it. Every once in a while, we'll get someone in where they're, they're saying, do something fun and we'll do that. And that's an, that's an opportunity to, to experiment some. But these traditional patterns are traditional for a reason. They work. And we've got hundreds of years worth of proof. That brings me to another question that that may be super obvious to you, but I need to know, and and our listeners need to know, historically speaking, the folks who actually made the chairs were furniture makers, and they were not the ones that did the caning, right? Two different professions that would work together to make something, right? That is correct. And even up till now, a lot of chair makers will source out the weaving, essentially. 
And that's something that the seat weaver was usually an afterthought. So we run into issues with the structure of the chair that you're looking at it and going, gosh, this is really difficult to weave. If they'd have just done this a little differently, it would have been better. So any furniture makers out there need to call you first and talk to you before they just think they can throw a piece of finished work out. <laughs> We will gladly provide consulting for anyone. And we've done that in the past. If you're wanting to do woven seats, it's it's little things make all the difference. And honestly, we want to make it easier to weave. I'm an engineer by trade in a past life, I guess you could say, but I want it to be as easy as possible. Have you ever gotten, because people are bringing to you like heirloom chairs, right? Not just things in their family, but old stuff. Have you ever mm-hmm. gotten a chair that's like 150 years old that still has some of the original stuff on it and you just want to say, hey, this is super historic. Please don't make me change it. The temptation has been there in a couple of cases. It would have to be a due to the story attached to it. If it was Mark Twain's desk chair and it still had material on it, then you might not want to mess with it. But for the most part, these seats were meant to be replaced. You're not devaluing it by making it a functional chair again. We want people to be able to use these chairs for their intended purpose. And it is still a family heirloom, whether it has a new seat in it or not. And one thing that we really like to do, and we do restoration work, but we're educational, really, that we want to get other people's hands on the chairs. So encouraging people to get their hands on their own family heirloom, then they're a link in that chain. They're one step closer in becoming a part of the the story of the chair. That is a really cool way to look at it. I really like that. So looking at y'all's website too, of course I went and perused it and and y'all offer a lot of different versions of cane weaving and seat work and things like that. Do all of you know how to do all of those or do you sort of split the work and say, I do these and you do those? <laughs> yes, is the answer <laughs> to that. <laughs> the There are certain styles such as the cattail weaving or hickory bark weaving that we, we don't do a lot of. Silver River Center for Chair Canning makes it seem like we're a big business or there's a lot of us. It's really my wife, Brandy Clements and I. And between the two of us, we can tangle with anything that comes through the door. And chances are we can teach you how to do it as well. That said, there are things that you end up specializing in because you were a little better at it to start out or you liked it a little more. So here we are 10 years in full time. Let's say the rush chairs. I'm pretty good at it. Now I've had a lot more practice. And so you kind of pigeonholed myself. Whereas the laced cane, Brandy really has a lot more practice because that was something at the beginning where I was adverse to it. I was like, oh, this is too difficult. It makes my head hurt type thing. So she has taken that and really dialed in the process and the materials and everything like that. So you start to specialize, but for the most part, where anybody, either one of us could do the work or teach it. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something folks need to understand too. You're not just a couple of family business that people can bring a chair to. A big part of what you do is teaching and trying to carry on these these traditional crafts. 
playoffs, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We realized early on there are more chairs out there in need of love than we could ever touch in a lifetime, even between two of us. So here we are, three, 4,000 chairs in, and people that we're teaching are going to branch out. And even if they do 50, 100 chairs in a lifetime, we've affected a lot more chairs that way. And at the same time, we have seeded the craft into the future. And that's really what it's all about. I mean, honestly, and I think about this a lot, I could go back in time and teach myself 10 years ago what I've learned, then it would have shortcut things quite a bit. And I would be in a better spot, a little less a little less frustration, a little less trial and error. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we've hard earned a lot of these skills through practice. We want to pass that along. Looking back to you said that your wife, her family had been involved in this kind of work for a long time. How long are we talking? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it goes, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I hope I get this right. Tracing it back, we know for sure that it goes back to Brandy's great grandmother. And that was in the Midwest in Michigan, if I remember correctly. And they were moving and ended up in Norfolk, Virginia when they were on their way to Florida the tents burned. They're living out of their car and heading down for a farming job in Florida. Tents burned, you end up in Virginia. That's kind of Brandy's home area now. And that's where her Aunt Linda is, who we learned from. That's our direct lineage. So her great-grandmother taught her children. Aunt Linda kind of forced the hand of Brandy's grandfather and great uncle. Our Aunt Linda, who we learned from, started putting advertisements into the newspaper that she knew how to chair cane. And then she started getting chairs in and was like, well, all right, hey guys, teach me how to do this. Because she kept pestering them and wanting to know how. And they're like, oh, well, eventually. Now it could go, and chances are these things are handed down through the family or through friends and people that are close more often than not. So chances are it goes, the skill goes back in Brandy's family further than that. That's just as far back as we know for sure. You know, sometimes thank goodness for the tents burning, right? You know, if not for that, Brandy and I's path would have never crossed. So just never know when a tragedy could end up something, something beautiful. So you've worked on a whole lot of chairs. Does one Mm -hmm. stick out that when you were done with it, you just stepped back and were like, wow, that's the chair. I know it's kind of, it's hard to pick one. Two situations that really stand out in my mind. When I was growing up, I grew up in my grandfather's woodworking shop and he always had a project going on and I got excited about Stickley Furniture. Gustav Stickley, uh, arts and crafts, designer, beautiful, looks simple, but it's not. So I had a book and would drool over it, designed my own furniture according to it. Never really made anything of that caliber. And I remember the first stickly chair that we got in to repair and it was, it was like the sun shining on it. You know, it's like, oh wait, not only like I get to get my hands on these. I don't, it's not mimicking the design. It's I get to get my hands on these and put them back right. Now, as far as, so that was kind of like this aha moment, like the weird thing where I wanted to design the furniture and then fate has this way to kind of like, I'm working on it just in a totally different way than I anticipated. The chair that I was probably most wowed by is a 1720s Queen Anne's chair. And it was one of the oldest pieces that we have worked on. And
And it was one that it needed structural repair as well. So I had to knock it apart. And it's this, wait a minute, I've had this piece of furniture that was around before this country existed, before my family immigrated to this country. It's just a mind-blowing type of thing. So you had to forget that and pretend it was just pieces of wood, knock it apart. And then when it was all back together again, go, okay, I did it. (laughs) Now, in addition to that, it was a rush seat that I was weaving onto it. So I have this connection to the frame, but every time I'm weaving a rush seat, I I can picture someone 2000 years ago in the Nile basin doing pretty much the exact same thing. Materials are a little different, but patterns don't change that much. And so here it's the connections to the historical pieces and to the humanity throughout the ages that makes this really interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Klingler gets it right there. That is a, that is a fantastic way to, to wrap this up, I think. I don't think you could say anything better than that. Perfect. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, before we go, tell us, with all the work that y'all have done and the, and the classes, and thank you so much for keeping this traditional craft alive, tell people how they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Name of the company or the name of, we are a school and museum in Asheville, North Carolina, and we are the Silver River Center for Chair Caning. Um, the website, silverriverchairs.com. A lot of information on the website. We are a school offering in-person classes and slowly but surely offering online classes. Our hand was kind of forced in that direction. We were pointed in that direction anyways. That's a lot bigger project than we anticipated. We do have a museum. We have about a 2,500 square foot spot here and half of that is dedicated to the museum. It's something that that's our that's our joy. Being able to turn people on and when people come up and you see the wow in their eyes, oh, I had no idea. That's what puts a smile on our face. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, my family and I come to Asheville whenever we can. So the next time we're up there, I'm going to drop in and meet you face to face and check that museum out. That's awesome. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been really exciting. I think so. Like I said, material culture of the supposedly mundane, as you pointed out, can not only create a very visceral personal reaction, but it goes back. King Tut sit on a chair like that. (laughs) So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Sure. Appreciate it. And folks, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Then Again. Be sure and check out our website. Be sure and check out our Facebook for more great upcoming podcasts. And until you tune in next time, stay safe and take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. We also hope you'll join us for our free weekly live stream programs on Facebook Live and YouTube Live every week at 2 p.m. Eastern. Just search for the Northeast Georgia History Center and we'll pop right up. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.